On Monday, May 9th, 2011, around 5.45 a.m., I was on my way to work headed northbound into the village of New Miami on Seven Mile Avenue. I left the traffic light at the southernmost edge of town into a dark stretch of road when a large flying creature swooped in over my car and snatched up a small animal in the road ahead of me at the edge of my headlights. As a construction worker, I feel I can judge the size of objects fairly well. This creature had a wingspan of at least 12 feet and was jet black with a human figure. It completely blocked the view out of my windshield and then someone moved at a very high rate of speed. I was traveling between 35-40 miles per hour. It had to have been traveling at around 70-80 miles per hour. Like I stated before, it swooped down, grabbed the animal, and was gone over the trees very quickly. I've researched large predator birds and raptors indigenous to Ohio, and there are none that fit the description of what I saw. If you have any other questions about my experience, please feel free to email me back. It was June 15, 1994, a day that I still remember vividly. I was camping with my friends in the deep wilderness. The night had a coolness to it, the kind you only get when you're far away from the city lights and the sounds of civilization. There we were, tucked away in our camp, when something happened that would stay with me forever. Around midnight, I heard the sound of a large animal walking through our camp. It was coming from the dense forest, its footfalls heavy and distinct. I knew enough about the wilderness to know not to provoke a large animal, so I stayed quiet, alert, and let it pass. I listened as the sound slowly receded, the animal moving away from our camp. At five in the morning, my campmates and I gathered around the smoldering embers of our fire, sharing our experiences of the previous night. One of them even accused me of being the animal, saying he had seen a human silhouette at the time we all heard the sounds. It was a ridiculous accusation, but it added to the eeriness of the situation. Half an hour later, I was about a mile downstream when I heard a loud commotion in the gravel of a ten-foot cut bank. Thinking it was my friend playing a prank, I walked towards the noise. But as I got closer, a horrific smell hit me, something I had never smelled before. It was pungent, rotting far worse than any animal scent I had ever encountered even worse than my old dog on his smelliest day. I picked up a few rocks and threw them towards the source of the sound, hoping to scare off whatever was there. But nothing moved, nothing ran off like a normal animal would. The smell hung in the air, the commotion stopped, and everything was eerily silent. I remember standing there, the hair on the back of my neck standing up, a chill running down my spine. I was an experienced camper, a seasoned hunter, but that day I encountered something that I couldn't explain, something that challenged my understanding of the natural world. It's an experience that I'll never forget, a story that I still tell around campfires, under the starlit sky, reminding myself and others of the mysteries that the wilderness still holds. I've always had an affinity for the cold, which is why I sleep with the windows open, even in winter. My apartment is nestled high enough, about three stories off the ground, 
ensuring that the chill winds are my only nocturnal visitors. Where I live, deer move about mostly at night, and their soft footsteps rustling through the fallen leaves have become my usual lullaby. It was eerie at first, but over the years, I've grown accustomed to it. One night, however, something sounded amiss. Amidst the usual patter of deer hooves, there was a new, distinct rustle something fast, something unnatural. A sudden alarm snort rang out, followed by frantic thuds, as if the deer were scattering in terror. Then came the barking, a cacophony of distressed calls, and sounds of dragging and snorting that sent shivers down my spine. Underneath my blanket, my palms were sweaty, my heartbeat echoing in my ears. I was paralyzed with fear, my mind conjuring up images of unknown horrors lurking beneath my window. The noises eventually faded into an eerie silence, and I mustered the courage to close the windows, barricading myself from the ominous unknown. Sleep came hesitantly, the echoes of the night's terror still fresh in my ears. When dawn broke, I ventured outside. There was little evidence of the nocturnal chaos, just some fresh dirt, displaced in the deer's frantic escape. But that night taught me some valuable lessons, ones that will forever resonate with me. Never venture into the woods without a lamp and a gun, and if you must, never go alone. The woods have their secrets, secrets that are best left undiscovered in the dead of the night. Growing up in the heart of rural southeast Kansas was an adventure in itself. My childhood was filled with the thrill of exploring the great outdoors, traversing the tall grass prairies, and adventuring into the unknown with my friends. Our ages ranged from 10 to 14, and our ventures were led by youthful curiosity, armed only with pellet and BB guns, and maybe a knife for good measure. On one such adventure, we set out after dusk towards a shallow creek that meandered through a small forest about a mile from my best friend's house. The thrill of the nocturnal expedition had us buzzing with excitement, but that excitement was soon replaced with an unnerving sensation. The deeper we ventured into the woods, the more we felt an eerie sense of being watched. An inexplicable feeling that something was trailing us, hidden in the inkai blackness of the night. Despite our efforts, we couldn't spot what was triggering our primal instincts. A sense of dread washed over us, and instinctively we huddled together, facing outward, each one of us on high alert. Deciding that we had had enough of the woods for the night, we bolted out of the forest, our feet crunching the dried leaves, hearts pounding. As we emerged into the tall grass prairie that led back to the house, I dared to glance back at the tree line. There, I caught a glimpse of what seemed like a mountain lion's tail disappearing into a bush. The sight sent a shiver down my spine, and I quickly urged my friends to stay close as we made our way back home. Once safe, we confided in my friend's father, who worked for the local parks and rec department and was well acquainted with the fish and game personnel. Officially, we were told that there were no big cats in southeast Kansas. However, he shared that there had been some whispers about a potentially untracked male mountain lion in the area. From that day onwards, our adventures held a hint of trepidation, a constant reminder of the wild and unpredictable nature of the world we so eagerly sought to explore. 
I am turning 30 in a few months, and I can still recall so vividly the three shadow people I encountered in my home somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12. A little background on me. I moved to a small town upstate, New York at around 7 years old. When this happened, my mother had recently just departed from my father kicked him out lol. My family had a weird vibe pretty much. I wasn't close with my older sister, and we were one year apart. My youngest sister I don't believe was born yet, so it was just us three and my mom. My brother had a best friend that lived up the street, and I'd describe us as Ed, Ed and Eddie, lol just three young kids causing havoc around the neighborhood. Also if it counts for anything, we grew up very Christian family especially on mom's side, but when we moved we stopped going to church as often. One of my sweetest grandmother memories. I recall when I was young, before we would leave my grandmother's house in the city of New Arcaio, she would anoint us with oil on our foreheads and say a prayer before we left to go back home upstate. Anyway, I remember it being like any other day. We played outside, Game Boy Color or Advance, I don't know, traded Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and just had fun all day long. We came in, showered and settled down. I guess it was probably summer when school was out because I was up late and my sister was too, but I didn't know this at the time. My brother was knocked out next to me with his head facing the wall, and I was on the other edge of the bed with my head facing the door to his room which was wide open. My brother and I were so close man which explains why I was making myself comfortable in his room. It was pretty much a real brotherly bond I would say and I kind of get emotional thinking about it because nothing was ever the same since that day. Anyway, I'm laying there just trying to go to sleep I guess, and I just get this odd feeling that I'm being watched. All of the lights were off, and we were no longer in a city environment where there is light even in darkness. Upstate NY is dark dark when the lights go out especially in the house. From my brother's doorway, the hallway made an L shape. If you turn right and walk down the hall, there was my sister's room, also my room at the time, or you can go straight ahead towards the stairs. Obviously, I'm staring straight ahead towards the stairs. I'm staring now because I can't sleep with this odd F feeling, and within seconds, a tall shadow began to appear in the distance on the stairs, and it was freaky. Because man, you can see the outline of this thing in the pitch dark. Blackness. This thing was blacker than the blackness itself, and the eyes were the only thing that I could really see. His outline was tall, he had a tall hat, and he was just skinny with long-looking fingers. Now my heart is pounding, and I'm pretty much thinking WTF is going on. So I start blinking nervously because I didn't believe I was seeing this. As I blinked the other two appeared closer than the last one. They were no longer on the stairs, but in the hallway. One wore a hood and carried what seemed like a stick sort of like the Grim Reaper, and the other one was large, like wide and fat. The eyes were large and just gave me a bad-up feeling. I literally laid there in fear, and I tried to refrain from blinking at one point, because it seemed like every time I blinked, they got closer. I promise you, the tears were flowing, and I made the mistake of blinking, and it was like they just appeared right in the doorway. And that's when I couldn't hold my fear in any longer man. I let out the most excruciating scream. 
I was scared for dear life. I felt like those things were going to kill me. I just started screaming loud and my mother was heavy-footed man. All I heard was her come stomping from her room at the end of the hall and into the hall. She flipped on the hallway light switch and came running stomping into the room. I swear it was like an elephant coming to save her baby man. My mom is such graceful woman I promise lol, but I always remember her being so heavy-footed when she would move around the home probably because she was often rushing everywhere. I guess raising kids will do that to ya lol, but man that day felt like no other. She scooped me up and took me back to her room and was just consoling me asking me what the hell happened. She was scared that I was scared, but I was out of it. It took me a while to calm down and explain to her what I saw. I wasn't only afraid of her reaction, but I was always a thinker back then and even now. I just thought at the time even if I told her what could she do. It's not like she could beat them up or something because I knew that whatever those things were just wasn't from this world or realm. It was really odd and terrifying. It had to be like 2 or 3 am at the time and I remember her picking up the phone and calling my grandmother who was and still is a hardcore Christian. She called and they spoke. I remember her trying to leave the room and I would squeal because I didn't want to be left without the lights on. Her room light was still off, but she ended up turning it on for my comfort and leaving the room to speak to my grandmother. She came back shortly after with what I perceived as a bottle of water back then, but as I know now, it was holy water. I watched my mother bless her entire room and then leave her room to run through the entire home and bless it too. I saw her splashing the bottle on the walls and everything. I remember sleeping in my mom's room for months after that. I couldn't sleep anywhere else. I was traumatized. I never saw those things again after that day, but I had some wild experiences in life after that. The oddest thing was that my brother slept through it all, not waking up once. Doesn't recall the day or anything. Since then, he's had so many hardships in life and has been in and out of jail and crazy outbursts. I don't know if it's connected, but I just felt a shift in his being after that day. The next day I remember having breakfast, and my older sister asking me why I was screaming last night. Embarrassed off course lol, I told her what I saw, but I was shocked when she just stared at me and said, I saw it too. I remember thinking to myself, well, if you saw it too, then why the F wasn't you screaming? LOL, but I never discredited her, nor mentioned it again. She just turned 31, and I'm turning 30 as I told you above, so I'm thinking about revisiting this experience by calling her and asking her if she remembers, and I think it would be dope to get that moment on voice record. It's crazy because I recently revisited this conversation with my mother, and she confirmed it all and was surprised I even remembered. I couldn't forget something that traumatic. Remember I told you my brother had a best friend that lived up the street, and we were all like Ed, Ed and Eddie. Well, about two or three years ago, he came to visit me for an extended period of time. I was living in a TL with my girlfriend in our new apartment. I made him comfy and at home obviously because he's my brother too just from another mother and father law. We then we started chatting about our childhood memories. Our adult relationship is completely different than our childhood ones. 
My brother and him are still best friends, but they are on two different paths in life. He now has a child and a long-term girlfriend. He moved across the country. He has a career, and he's doing really good for himself. My brother is still navigating life, emotionally underdeveloped, I'd say, and a bit lost at the moment. So their relationship is more moral support, a friend that's going to always be their type thing, if that makes sense. Whereas him and I have the more difficult and in-depth conversations. I remember us talking about conspiracy theories, spirituality, political crap, our fathers being Freemasons and stuff like that, and it later led to talking about spirits and shadow people. I remember him telling me, Man, just don't think I'm crazy when I tell you this. And then went on to tell me how he saw some tall figure in his house when he used to live up the street from me as a child. And for some odd reason at that time I asked him if the figure was a skinny guy. And he said, skinny with a tall hat and long fingers. I swear we both had like a twin telepathy moment, and at that moment we both knew that we experienced one of the same entities. He told me his story, and I told him mine, and we both just sat there disturbed. It was weird and creepy, and even unto this day we phone each other up and talk about the crazy experiences we had, and are still having in this world today. So one night I'm driving home from a friend's place. It's pretty late, like two or three in the morning. I live in the suburbs and the streets are relatively tight, so I am typically driving pretty slow don't speed in your neighborhood. Happy neighbors are good neighbors. I'm nearing the turn to enter my close, and from a distance I see what looks to be someone outside. Pretty unusual this time of night as it's all young families and retirees around me. As I get closer, it's definitely a kid, which is even stranger, like, doesn't this kid have parents? They're standing directly under the street light with a raincoat on not raining, and their hood up over their head, so that the shadow cast completely covers their face. I know my neighborhood pretty well, and while I don't know most by name, you know who has kids and who doesn't. This corner house 100% doesn't have any kids. That kid's gaze was locked onto my truck, unwavering, turning their head and staring straight at me as I slowly pass, turning right towards my house, this kid only a few feet away. This kid did a full 180 with their body and watched me drive down my street. While I only live six or so houses into the close, it's just enough I lost sight of the kid. It was super unsettling, I couldn't even quite explain to you the feeling I got from it. I back into my driveway, put my truck in park, think about what I saw, and say F it, I've got to check this out. Back into drive and back down the street, maybe twenty seconds tops, since I passed and kids gone. Vanished. The roads are straight enough in any given direction that in that short amount of time that kid would have had to straight up sprint to stand a chance of being out of sight. F demon child is gone. I went home parked quick and didn't take my time getting inside and locking the door. To this day, never saw the kid again or anything that's given me a bad vibe like that. Damned if I know what was going on. If it was a prank, hats off. You did it, kid. I was a live-in caretaker for a 94-year-old woman with Alzheimer's for about a year and a half. 
She had moved into her daughter's home deep in the woods of middle of nowhere Washington. Marie was prone to say weird things like that her sister deceased, mother deceased, and husband deceased were in the house or outside regularly. I had been working with dementia patients for a few years by this point, so it never bothered me. Marie was terrified of the woods. She would tell me about how there's dangerous animals out there, and I could get lost easily so I must always stay inside. She was also worried about her mother and husband having to travel through them. Again, this wasn't worrisome behavior given her health condition. I had been working with her for about six or seven months when I would start waking up to her walking down the halls in the middle of the night. Sundowning is fairly normal for people with Alzheimer's, so again I wasn't troubled by this, but she started going to a specific window and giggling, like she was interacting with someone outside the window. When asked what she was doing, she'd say my mother is out there. Kind of weird, but there's a different perception in her world now. One night in dead of winter, her daughter and I are awoken to the blaring of the house's alarm system. The daughter and I checked the doors and windows, none of which seemed to be disturbed or unlocked. The only thing missing is Marie. She is nowhere in the house. Panicked, I rush outside to find her while the daughter continues to search the house. No tracks anywhere, no disturbed snow, nothing. After 10-15 minutes of yelling searching the woods, I start making my way back to house where her daughter was already in the process of calling 911. As I reproach the house, I see Marie. Standing outside the window, she normally stood at giggling. There's not a single footstep in the snow around her, nor is she cold to the touch. She's just standing there laughing at nothing, didn't even know she was outside. Her late-night window visits became more frequent after this, but less happy. She'd get combative with the window and scream at whoever she believed to be there. Then it just stopped one day. One of the last conversations I had with Marie before she passed, she told me to not let them take me into those woods. I hope they didn't. Unfortunately, it's hard to explain. I was hiking down a trail with my dog in remote northern Wisconsin when I just got a weird feeling. At the exact same time, the heckles on my dog went straight up and he began acting really anxious. About the same time, I came into a clearing in the woods and got hit with what I can only describe as a sound wave. It was like someone was blasting a subwoofer right next to me, but there was nothing around. The nearest road was maybe a mile away. Something told me to get the fout of there, so I quickly turned around and hiked as quickly as possible the rest of the way back. I didn't hear that bass sound after I left the clearing, but I still felt like something was following me. I was jarred back to memories of when I was growing up in New York. I must have been 12 to 14 years of age, having several reoccurring instances that I took for vivid dreams. The dreams include several periods of paralysis that would always end with my choking for air and on most occasions vomiting. In these states, I would be asleep in my bed facing up. I would open my eyes and find that I was drawn to one particular section of my ceiling and I couldn't take my eyes off the area. I would feel the room expand. 
I may have a better word for this later, but expansion was definitely one of the senses I was having. I would then begin to rise straight up parallel to the ceiling and go through what would be an ever-expanding blackness. I can remember seeing myself even though I was still face up. It was like having a vision of myself instead of actual sight. I would then proceed to feel cold, very cold, and eventually there would be stars. After seeing the stars, everything would eventually go black and the next vision I would have would be of myself on top of a large orb. It was as if I was one with it or molded with it, because it seemed that my body was flush with its surface. I want to say it was silver, but it may be that my mind just saw it as a huge BB. I am in a massive chamber that went on and on forever, no light, no things to gauge distance. At this point the same things would always happen, I would start to move away from myself. My vision of this always had me seeing myself from over my left shoulder. As I moved further away from the place of the B&B's dock, I would begin to fade, disappear, and the choking would begin. At first it was just hard to breathe, then I would be very aware of what was happening to my body that was left behind in my bed, and that is when the puking would begin. The more faded I became the worse the choking would get, and eventually I would wind up back in my room with a rushing of great speed. These events happened to me infrequently at first, but then began to escalate. My feelings were that whatever was doing this no longer cared about whether or not I believed it to be a dream or not. It didn't help that I didn't have a family member that would listen to me as they never experienced anything. When this happened the home always seemed empty or totally devoid of life other than my own. This thing happened to me for what seemed like years. During those years I went through a lot of behavioral issues, violence, bedwetting, dissociation of family. I was then confronted with the faceless women. The same events would happen, but instead of going off to the void all the time, I would be brought to a huge chamber. Again very black, no light, at least none that could be explained or truly seen. In this chamber I would be in a circle of about 15-20 apparently mature women. They were spread out about arm's length apart, and I would float in the middle of the circle and be asked to choose my mother. I would look around at all of them, and they were all very similar. As I would try to see them better, I would either move closer to the one I thought was my mother, or just concentrate on the face. When I looked at their faces, they were always missing, gone or blurred like an old black and white TV screen. It was impossible to choose, and when I did, I would always begin gasping and choking, and would be told to pick again. This would go on and on without ever having an answer or an end. I'm not quite sure at what stage of my life this finally ended, but as I get older it gets easier for me to remember these details. My story takes place in the fall of 1978. I was 12 years old and myself and three other kids were walking along a trail along a bean field near our old childhood woods. The woods surround this bean field and we were, we had our heads down looking on the trail looking for used shotgun shells and such. We used to collect them as kids so we weren't paying attention to what our surroundings were. All of a sudden, one of the kids went running by me screaming and yelling, taking off in the opposite direction. I had my back turned to whatever he was running from. I turned around and the other two kids went running by me yelling, run, 
run, run. And I looked up and about 25 to 30 feet away from me was this headless figure standing there. I froze. I was like, for like five seconds, I was staring at this thing. And I got a good look at it. And the first thing I noticed was that it was wearing one of those shoulder bullet belts. Like from the movie The Good, The Bad and the Ugly Nori says, you mean, like the banditos used to wear. Yeah, yeah, right. And I didn't see a weapon or anything, and obviously, it had no head. And it looked like it was wearing some type of uniform. It was an old Civil War type uniform. It had black boots up to its knees. I stood there for a second before I took off. I was just in shock, and this figure slowly raised its arm, and it pointed its finger at me. And I got a good look at its hand, and it was pale white like it was dipped in flour. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I took off running finally and ran into the woods where this other kid was hiding, and we watched as this figure walked alongside the bean field where we were standing, and it went off across the trail into the other side of the woods, and it disappeared. This happened to my mom back in the late 70s. First of all, we live in an area in the south that is known for beautiful lakes, rivers, ponds, and woods. Due to the beautiful bodies of water and wooded areas, we have state parks, city parks, etc., and many of them near the water. There is a state park in our area, which was established in the 60s. This park is located on a river, and it is down a long dirt road through the woods. There are no houses nearby. The park is a huge grassy area facing the river, with rustic-looking picnic tables, big oak trees, and a rustic building with bathrooms. When my mom was young, the state park service had some type program where teenagers could work for the summer. She was happy to get in the program and make some money jobs were not plentiful in our area. Her job for the summer was to be the lifeguard at this particular state park. She loved the river, so she was happy. On weekends, the park was full. On weekdays, many times, no one came down there, and when anyone did show up, it might be like one family, possibly two. So, this was a weekday. It was morning, and no one was at the park except my mom. The lifeguard chair was not like most. It was handmade rough wood to keep up with the rustic design of the park, and it was not up very high. This is relevant since no one had shown up at the park. My mom settled in her rustic, uncomfortable lifeguard chair with a good book. Some guy seemed to show up out of nowhere. She looked up from her book, and he was just kind of there. He was wearing dirty jeans and no shirt and looked generally unkempt, but in our area, that look was not necessarily unusual. She asked could she help him, and he asked her if he could skinny dip in the river. She thought he was just joking around and of course, she told him no. She was feeling a little creeped out, because no one was there except her and him. But the rangers usually rode down every couple of hours and circled through the park, so she knew they were subject to show up at any time. Anyway, after telling this guy he could not skinny dip, he stripped down to his boxer shorts and dove into the water. My mom was more than a little freaked out at this point. She was, and is a tiny person, at the time 5 foot 2 and 115 pounds. Well, while she is looking around nervously hoping a ranger, 
or anyone will come driving up, the guy gets out of the water. Of course, being wet and wearing only boxers, my mom could see everything he had. He walks up to the lifeguard chair and asks my mom if she wants to go out in the woods and have sex with him. She is really scared now and she said no and asked him to leave. I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he reaches up remember, the chair is not very high and puts his hand on her leg and basically lets her know he would and could force her. She looked around and as luck would have it, she saw one of the rangers driving up. She jumped out of the lifeguard chair and ran toward the road and toward the ranger. The guy disappeared. The rangers looked for him and never could find him. For the rest of the summer, the rangers patrolled a lot more and my mother never saw the creepy guy again. She said it was one of the scariest moments she ever had. I now live in southeastern Pennsylvania, which was the hot spot of a UFO flap in 2008. Just a few miles away from my current residence, we had one of the greatest UFO encounters. However, I will leave that for another day. In the early 60s, the small suburb of San Juan outside the city of Manila was visited by several UFO sightings, and later what is now referred to as Mothman. I was born and raised in that little suburban town about three miles from where these series of sightings took place. When I was about a year and a half old, my parents moved to a townhouse apartment in the small hamlet of Little Baguio near San Juan. It's a picturesque Spanish-type suburb with stucco houses with red tile roofs inhabited by the well-to-do, with tended gardens. In between these homes ranch-style and townhouse-type apartments were randomly scattered. It was in one of these apartments where the haunting of my father started. As my mother and uncle faithfully recounted, my father would retire to his study as a writer of books and poems to sit at his typewriter in the fading twilight after dinner. Outside his den, a creek could be seen running the length of the house through a huge, jalousied window. One evening, according to their recollection, a distinct hum could be heard. As my father paused from his typing, he glanced out the fading light of the twilight to behold a nine-foot being standing with a black cape in the shadow of a large tree perched at the edge of the creek. The creature was jet black, with the cape glinting in the starlight like leather. As my father backed away from his desk to observe the creature, he noticed a face take form with red eyes and a mask of menace. The creature had horns like a goat and long face that exuded deep horror. My uncles who were close to my father recalls the night my father had ran from the room in fear he had believed he was hallucinating the events, only to find the creature hanging one night like a bat from the breadth of the expansive den window. It was looking down at him in menace. As they ran to the room, they were overcome by a sense of foreboding and sadness. Upon arrival, the creature had already disappeared, to be replaced by a full moon and the sound of water in the creek. One night, several months later, my father refused to sleep, fearful the creature would enter his dreams. My mother set up vigil with a live-in servant, a young woman who believed the creature was a demon. As my father finally slept with my mother sipping tea in the next room, a yell ensued from the maid who had entered my father's den to check on a scratching noise. As my mother rushed into the room, she finally sighted the creature. 
It hung, bat wings spread, the breadth of the window which was about ten, twelve feet in length, glaring pointedly at my mother as she approached. Fearful but determined to confront the creature which haunted her husband, she reached for a cross on the opposite wall and charged the window with it, praying the Our Father as she approached. In the darkness, the creature folded into itself, cloak and all into the ground under the window, and disappeared. The local priest was consulted and blessings were attempted on the apartment and on my father. However, oppressed by the continuous haunting, my father finally committed S as a means of escape. That same night, my mother tucked my belongings with me and fled, never returning to the apartment. The creature followed us to my grandmother's house where a priest held mass and blessed the house and all of us. At some point, the sightings of the creature finally stopped. It was only my mother and the maid who saw it. But other ghosts continued to haunt the town, a scene of much bloodshed in World War II when the Japanese invaded the town. That was my first encounter with the unknown. A husband and wife, taking a scenic drive through the Ligonier Valley, saw something very strange and unexpected on the afternoon of November 23, 2015. At about 2 p.m., they were traveling on a rural road about two miles from Ligonier. The driver of the car noticed some movement in some bushes on the right side of the road. Suddenly, an animal exited the bushes and began to trot from right to left in front of the vehicle. The driver stopped about 10-20 feet from the animal to obtain a better look. The couple was startled by what they were seeing. This was no ordinary animal, as they could see the outline of the shape of the animal, but it was not solid and there was no color or fur observed. The husband as soon as he saw the creature thought that it was somewhat like a fox, but could not be sure since no physical features could be seen. His wife also agreed that it was a four-legged creature similar to a fox. The body of the animal was estimated to be about 18 inches to 24 inches long and had a tail that was about one quarter or half the length of the body. The animal was a lot smaller than a deer. The husband told me that the creature had a smoky veil shape. His wife, however, got a better and longer look at the animal as it entered the road and trotted in front of the car. She told me that she could see through it, and that there was a specific area within the body shape that was like an energy pattern. It was like a smoky heat wave. They watched as the animal continued to cross the road and entered some brush on the left side of the road and was not seen again. The couple didn't hear any sound or notice any smell during the four or five second observation. Location is a campground that may or may not be currently accessible. I know it was closed gated off from the road for quite a while a good few years ago. Factory Shoals Campground, a good 20 minutes outside of Covington, Georgia. Yes, that's where they filmed the Vampire Diaries. Anyway, Factory Shoals Recreation Area, the campground. I'll say that I've never seen many other people out at this huge park, even on the nicest days but a friend lives in a subdivision down the road. The area is sporadically rural if that makes sense. You'll come across a school, a gas station, and a pretty big neighborhood, but nothing else for another six or seven minutes down the road. 
The campground is next to the Alkavi River. In order to reach it, you have to drive through Newton Factory Cemetery, an old cemetery with mostly older graves sitting on the side of the road, slightly hidden by trees, smack in nowhere. I've often wondered about this. Graves date back to the 1800s, maybe illegible ones or even older, and at some point somebody says, hey, let's put a road through the cemetery and create a campground. So you go down this janky road through the cemetery about a quarter mile, and here you are, barely managed campground. There's maybe seven sites, mostly next to the river. I'm with a friend. It's a nice evening, the light bustling of the river is calming. There's only one other site occupied a bit down, no street lamps. The only light you have is the fire and your flashlight. So when we're headed to bed, fire extinguished, it's pitch black. You can see the stars, there must not have been a moon that night. I'm laying down and close my eyes and realize it's too damn quiet. Deafening silence. I jump back up and go to my friend's tent and tell her I'm suddenly feeling creeped. We both realize the bugs and even the river have gone silent. To be fair, the river is only about eight feet across and about two feet deep here we had commented on the peaceful lull of the river all through the evening. With curiosity stronger than fear, we walk over toward the water and observe a mist or fog lifting from the water. We are a little anxious and don't want to get right up on the bank to see if we can see the water moving, so my friend remember a light-up fishing lure type thing she has in her bag, fetches it, tosses it in, and it just sits there, it doesn't flow down. So it's like the river came to a complete stop and its movement is releasing a thick mist, and it's completely dark and silent, except for that lure and its faint red glow barely visible through the thick mist. We both kind of start muttering that we should maybe pack up quick and leave before I see the spark and hear a gun firing not 15 feet away from us. Shine a light for a split second before we're both in the car, it's cranked, and we're tearing out of there. I didn't see anyone either from shining my light or from the headlights, and I about had a panic attack coming through the cemetery after that with the elongated shadows from headstones and monuments. I didn't sleep that night even after crashing on my friend's couch. Logic tells me the quiet could have come from a prowling human with a gun, but the mist and a river current stopping, and what if the... how Heitfer followed us. I didn't even gather my tent and sleeping bag before going home the next day. I luckily had placed my bag in my car for some reason instead of taking it inside, so my only loss was the small old tent, the sleeping bag, a battery-powered lantern, and a camp chair. So it's maybe a year later, and I'm in the area with my husband, and he doesn't believe me about a campground on the other side of a cemetery. It's midday, and I decide to show him, pull up, see that the road is now blocked off beyond the graves with a sign that states the campground is currently closed. We get out a minute to walk around the cemetery. It's a dirt road. There's a lot of kicked-up dust settling. So much so that my husband asks if there's water in my trunk, he's coughing. I go to get it, cursing under my breath at the thick layer of settled dust already on my precious sports car and notice. A very clean and distinct fresh tiny handprint on my trunk. It had to be fresh because I stood there and watched the still settling dirt start to stick and fill it in. We'd never made it more than a few feet from the car, 
There's nobody else out there. Again, we book it out of there. I know there's a legend about parking cars on hills in certain areas at night, and you'll find little handprints on the back and your car will have moved. My car didn't move, but those were legit fresh little handprints. I'm not sure if the cemetery brings playful souls, the entire area holds on to some type of energy, or there's just some incredibly sneaky people that hang out in minimally trafficked woods and backroads. I'll reiterate that this is part of a park, a recreational area that has grills and picnic tables about three minutes down the road, and I never saw anyone there the few times I visited aside from my friend, husband, or the other tent I saw further down the river when we tried to camp. I've never gone back. I've been to other places in Newton Co. though that give off similar vibes. The Alcavi Trestle, Gaither Plantation, a random church smack dab in the middle of the woods. That creepy old gas station, that's the story. I used to live in Japan, a place that is an enchanting blend of the ancient and the modern. A friend and I decided to take a trip to the mountains, a respite from the bustling city life. This friend of mine was a fellow adventurer, someone who shared my love for nature and the mysteries it held. One evening, during our mountain stay, we decided to go for a night walk, a ramble through the unfamiliar terrain under the starlit sky. The mountains were a maze of paths and trails, each leading to something new and unexplored. As we ambled along, we stumbled upon a Torii gate, standing alone, its vermilion columns stark against the dark mountainside. But it was a Torii gate unlike any other we had seen. Instead of leading to a shrine or temple, as they usually do, this one was met with an impassable rock face. It was an enigma, a puzzle that the mountains had thrown our way. Torii gates are symbolic passageways in Shintoism, marking the transition from the profane to the sacred. But what sacredness could a rock face hold? In our shared confusion, we both looked up at the sky, as if seeking answers from the cosmos. And that's when we saw it. A great multicolored light, hovering just above us, close enough to touch yet ethereal in its beauty. It was like a celestial gas, shimmering in the full spectrum of colors, casting an otherworldly glow on the Torii and the rock face. Then, as suddenly as it had appeared, it disappeared, leaving behind a sky full of stars and two awestruck observers. We stood there, staring at the place where the light had been, a sense of something incredibly significant settling over us. We felt changed, though we couldn't pinpoint exactly how. It was a very odd feeling, like we had touched something beyond our comprehension. Neither of us knew what had happened that night, under the shadow of the Torii and the glow of the mysterious light. Yet it remains one of my most unforgettable experiences, a tale of the mountains that I carry in my heart. The first time I saw the Leviathan, I felt a cold shiver run down my spine. I'm Agent Walker, a combat diver with the U.S. Coast Guard. I've faced plenty of challenges in the deep sea, but this... This was something else. The creature was monstrous, its body twisting and turning beneath the surface of the Atlantic, its dark silhouette blotting out the sunlight. 
It had risen from the depths and was now a threat to the eastern seaboard. Our mission was simple, in theory neutralize the Leviathan and save the coast. But there was more at stake for me. I was forced to confront my own fears, my own demons. You see, I have a past that not many know about a past shrouded in mystery and filled with creatures of the deep. I've always felt a strange connection with the ocean and its inhabitants, an affinity that was both a blessing and a curse. As our unit prepared for the confrontation, I found myself staring into the Inkai depths, my heart pounding in my chest. I felt a strange kinship with the beast. Just like me, it was a creature of the deep, brought to the surface against its will, feared and misunderstood. The plan was daring. We had to get close enough to the Leviathan to inject it with a powerful sedative, allowing us to steer it back into the deep ocean where it belonged. The task fell to me, the combat diver. I was to swim up to the creature, avoid its wrath, and complete the mission. As I plunged into the cold water, my past flashed before my eyes. The memories, the fears, the secrets, they all came crashing down. But I pushed them aside, focused on the task at hand. I swam towards the Leviathan, my heart hammering in my chest. The creature was even more magnificent up close. Its body was covered in ancient scars, a testament to a long life spent in the ocean's depths. Its eyes were filled with a strange intelligence, a silent plea. I could feel its confusion, its fear. It was not the monster we made it out to be. It was just lost, scared. Summoning all my courage, I swam up to it, the syringe in my hand. I plunged it into the creature, and for a moment our eyes met. There was an understanding there, a silent agreement. It knew what I was trying to do. And then it began to descend, its massive body sinking into the darkness. The mission was a success. The Leviathan was back where it belonged, and the eastern seaboard was safe. But more than that, I had confronted my own past, faced my fears. I was not just a combat diver, but a man with a deep connection to the ocean and its creatures. And that connection, that understanding, had saved us all.